Lord, this morning we lift you up with a hallelujah. In some days it does seem like maybe it's a bit of a broken hallelujah as our, we're struggling with day-by-day happenings. But Lord, even in those day-by-day happenings, whatever is happening within our lives, we can still lift up a hallelujah. We can still lift up a praise you, Lord, for we know that you are still good. You're good all the time, Lord. We can lift up our hands and praise the Lord. We can praise you for we know that although we struggle on this earth due to the sinfulness and brokenness of mankind and of humanity and of the world, the fallen, the effects of the fallenness, Lord, we can still praise you for we know that you're sovereign and in control and have a purpose and a future. Lord, so often it's so hard to focus on that future because our vision gets so cloudy with the present. So here today, Lord, as we open your, your word, as we read it and as we discuss it, and as we think about how we should be living in light of the word, the truth, Lord, I just ask you to bring us a clarity of mind. Soften our hearts, Lord. Soften our minds to be able to have understanding from the Holy Spirit, Lord, and to be able to see your will and to see your glory. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling specifically, and I do think of Dan and Dort Lee right now. We know there's many in this church and around the world struggling greatly, but we pray for them, and as we pray for them, we think of others as well. Bring them comfort and peace today. Bring them discernment, wisdom on knowing what to do in each situation, Lord, and bring them a peace which goes beyond their own understanding. And may even things like these these terrible things of the world and the fallenness of sin, may even these things bring you glory and enlighten the gospel to those around us, the good news of Jesus. Thank you for your word. May you bring truth to our lives from it now. And it's in your holy and powerful name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Please open up your Bibles to John chapter 21. I believe that's page roughly 853 in the Pew Bibles, if you're using those Pew Bibles. If you're using your own Bibles, well, you're just going to have to figure out the page number on your own. Today, we have glorious news to some of your ears, and maybe to some of your ears, saddening news. Today is hopefully the final week in the book of John. Laughter, awkward, uh uh-oh. I don't know if that's sad news or exciting news. Thanks, Rick. Um, (laughs) Today is our final day, and I did a count. We have spent 48 Sundays, including today, 48 Sundays in the book of John. So just less than a year. Now, it may seem like it's been closer to a year and a half, and that's because we've had some breaks along the way for holiday series or some off-the-beaten-path series. But 48 weeks in the book of John, and I hope that you feel blessed by it. I know I do. And I just have to say, ladies who attend ladies' Bible study, how many weeks did you spend in the book of John? I think I heard from somebody it was about three years. So I think we've done pretty good. But I also think we could go deeper. So I encourage all of you, we're going to wrap up today, and we're going to wrap up rather fast with some points for us to apply to our life, some takeaways from the book of John, but I still want to encourage you, dig deeper. May what you hear, what you read, what you see on Sunday morning never be enough. May the way that we study the word of God and find the hope in it, the truth in it, the life in it, the way in it, may that be what sets you apart from the world. May they see that you not only read the truth, 
but you know the truth. You acknowledge it and you follow the truth. And that truth leads you to Jesus. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. As you're opening, and as you're probably already there, I want to set the stage and just remind where, where we've been. Because um, I'm not going to read the whole chapter 21. We're going to start at verse 15 here, 15. But last week we read the whole chapter of 21, the final chapter in the book of John. And we saw this fantastic story. And it's not just a fantastic story because they went fishing. That does make for a good story, though. There's many good fishing stories. And actually, this is very similar to many of our fishing stories. They caught nothing at first, didn't they? Anybody been there? I've especially been there when I've been ice fishing. That's why I don't like to ice fish. I need to go with the right people, don't I, Craig? The disciples, they went to the Sea of Galilee. They're waiting for Jesus there, and they say, let's go fishing. Now, there's different arguments on were they going fishing because they gave up on, their, on Christ coming back, and they're thinking, I'm tired of waiting. Let's go fishing. Let's go back to work. Or were they just doing this as they waited for Christ to return? And I think they were waiting on Christ to return. But either way, they went fishing. They're out on the boat all night long, catching nothing, when all of a sudden this man from ashore, Jesus, he calls out to the boat and asks, have you caught anything? I already gave away the answer. No, we haven't caught anything. So this man yells out, put the net out on the other side of the boat. And they bring the net in. And they have so many fish caught up in this net that they cannot even haul it back up on the boat. It's at this moment that John recognizes that is the Lord, that is Jesus on the shore. (coughs) Excuse me. And Peter gets so excited that he jumps overboard and starts swimming ashore to Jesus. And what we see next is also something glorious. We see a fish fry with Jesus. Jesus prepares a breakfast for his disciples, his friends, his followers. And actually, this is one of the only parts, if not the only parts in Scripture here, where he refers to the disciples here as his children. Children, because they still had a lot to learn just like we do. We always have a lot to learn. But we can also see here, fish fries are biblical. I hope you take away more from today's scripture than that, but a little humor for you. Let's read. Starting at verse 15 now, again, we we did read this last week partially, but I want to just set the stage and remind you where we've been. So now, after they swam ashore, boated ashore, brought the fish ashore, they're having breakfast with Jesus. What a thought. And it says this, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter is grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Grieved. I I notice that word grieved. It's not just frustrated. I can imagine us sometimes getting frustrated when we're asked multiple times something. Why are you asking me a third time? I already answered you three times. 
Sometimes that's our sons, our daughters, our kids, maybe our spouses who we, we lose our, our anger, we get frustrated with, and normally we come back later and say, I should not have done that. Well, that's not the situation here. I notice the word grieved. I don't think it's frustrated. I think he's grieved because he's thinking about why Jesus is asking him a third time. Well, before, Peter was asked three times if he, was, if he knew Christ. He denied Christ three times. Or here Christ is before him and asking him, are you going to love me? Are you going to do my work? Are you going to follow me? Are you going to feed my sheep? Are you going to lead my church? Three times now. Three times. He says, yes, I love you. In this final time, he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But you, when you were old, you would stretch out your hands and another would dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19 is powerful to explain this. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. Peter would follow him. Peter would do the work of Christ. Peter would, would lead the church. And then he would be martyred for it. But Jesus still calls him to follow me. And he would. But at this time, Peter's a bit shocked by this saying. And he says this, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, now this is John following him in Jesus. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What about John? What about this beloved disciple of yours? What's going to happen to him? And notice what it says. In verse 22, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is a disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Today, we wrap up the book of John. We wrap up this study that we've been in for 48 weeks. And as we conclude, we must, like John, bring about some purpose statements. We must think about what are the takeaways? 48 weeks, what are we to do with all that we've read, with all we've heard, with all we've studied? What is the moral of the story anyways? I wrote down any good story, movie, musical, whether true life or fictional, would generally have some type of takeaway to be applied now, so often we think about this and we think about our takeaways and we think, why am I a better person because of this? What moral truth can I take away from this? What ethical truth can I take away from this? And we're going to talk about some takeaways. We're going to talk about how the scripture betters us. We're going to talk about what, what can we do now in light of this? But before we do so, I want to give you a bit of caution 
You see, the world, they often want to think of everything as having a moral truth, a, a moral takeaway, the moral of the story, something to make us better, to take away for me. What is in this for me? Sometimes when it comes to the word, it's not about you. It's about him. Sometimes when we read the word of God, and, and it's so easy to, to take that apart and, and dig in too deeply, but what I'm getting at is this. A lot of times we want to see, we want to be encouraged. We want to be uplifted. But sometimes what scripture wants us to do is not see how we're bettered, but see how he is bettered in our understanding so that we might better live for him and better glorify him, better worship him with our lives. But let's get to some takeaways for us today. And I think all of these fit with all of this. Number one is this. And this is first going to talk specifically about what we read today in John 21. The others, there'll be a little bit more of a wrap-up, a little bit more of a conclusion, and looking even to John's purpose and John's wrap-up. But this number one, it's more about us. Worry about number one first, then number two. Number one is Jesus. Number two, that's you. Following number one, Jesus. Everyone else either doesn't matter or doesn't matter quite yet. They matter. They matter later. But first, we must concrete and cement and prioritize properly that Jesus is number one. His will, his glory, his ways. Jesus is number one, always first. And we are always number two, following him. If we get those things mixed up, we are sinfully cloudy in the way that we are walking day to day in our life. We must first follow Jesus. After breakfast with Jesus, Peter's walking along the shoreline with Christ, it seems. And he's walking along and Jesus is telling him how he must live. Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. Even in death, follow me. And then all of a sudden, Peter turns around and says, well, what about this man? What about John? And notice Jesus' words. He says, what does it matter about that man? You follow me. You see, I think it's so easy to get focused on what other people are doing. And we either use that as a critical way of thinking about how we should be walking, or we use that as a jealousy um, way of thinking, well, why don't I have what they have? But we need to first look to Christ. Always Christ. He is number one first, then we are number two. Get that right. And then the other, the other will come to be. It will come. Instead of looking ahead, instead of looking to others, look ahead to Jesus as your master. Follow him. Stop looking around you. Look ahead first. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6 tells us. Follow Jesus and walk behind him. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about walking along a trail. You see, it's so easy to start walking on a side trail. Say you're out hiking in the woods along the Ice Age Trail, or maybe you've been out to Arizona and you're hiking along the Grand Canyon. Maybe you've been to the Smoky Mountains and you're hiking along the Appalachian Trail. I was out horseback riding the other week, and we were on a horseback riding trail, and we start off on one trail, but then there's this little trail that one of the 
Praise God, it was one of the people that knew where they were going. They start riding a horse beside us on this trail. And at first, it looks like I'm right beside where the person I need to be. I'm right beside Christ. I'm not behind him, but I'm right beside him. But the more and more that you're beside him on a separate trail, the trail starts diverging into a different set of woods. We need to make sure we are staying on the correct trail. And the only correct trail is the one that Christ is on. Follow him. Follow him. Jesus spoke of this concept many times. Peter would have understood what Jesus was meaning. In John 12, 26, Jesus says, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You see, again, think about that same idea. It's so easy for us to think, well, I'm not following him directly. I'm not right here, but I can still see him. I'll come back in a little bit. I just got to do me for a little bit. Life isn't about doing me. Life is about doing him, his way, because he knows the true way. Moving forward, Luke 9, 23 to 24, Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. You see, it's in denying yourself. It's in following Christ and following his way that we truly find true life and are saved. Before moving forward, I have one more illustration here to illustrate this following Jesus, looking ahead principle. And that's the principle of a runner. I was watching a one of my son's favorite movies yesterday, McFarland, USA, I think it's called. And it's a very inspiring movie, but it's about a coach that starts a cross-country team with his kids at, at this very poverty-stricken area. So it's all about running. So as we think about this, I think I, I want to just get you into this idea of running. As you're running a race, and I'm not talking competitively. You see, as I'm running with my, I'm talking competitively not casually. As I run casually, maybe I'm talking with a friend. I'm looking behind to see, okay, I'm not looking behind to see how far behind my kids are. They're always in front of me. I'm looking behind to have fun, look at the scenery. But when you're running competitively, you stay focused forward because the moment you take your eyes off the goal, the moment you take your eyes off the finish line, the moment you stop focusing on the finish line and the goal before you is the moment that you might trip up have a misstep, stumble, and fall. Now, sometimes it's just you get off path a little bit. I've been there. You're running. You're on the side of the road. You take a st- you take, you're looking aside, looking at the stars, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, I stepped on the curb. That's if you're lucky. But other times you take your focus off the finish line, off forward, and you hit a rut, you hit a hole, you misstep, you trip, you tumble, you break an ankle. Believe me, I'm the one that would do that. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 says, Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. There's so many other things to focus on. I know that. We're, we're juggling so many things. We're juggling our jobs and our families and our marriages We're juggling our friendships. We're juggling trying to make people happy. But the first priority we need is to make sure we're following Christ 
Keep her eyes focused on that goal, that finish line. And allow him to be the perfecter of your faith and to bring everything else into a straight line. Number two, the moral of the story, the takeaway here, this, the greatness of Jesus. We need to remember the greatness of Jesus. The entire book of John is about Jesus. It's about telling you all about Christ. John tells the reader not every miracle, but he tells them enough, enough. John chapter 21, verse 25 powerfully states, now there are also many other things that Jesus did, many other things. Jesus is great. He's done miraculous things, miraculous teachings, let alone the actual miracles, the healings, and the provisions. John 21, 25 in full states, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This was wrote 2,000 years ago. Just imagine the books, the books, the books that would be written today of all Christ not only did then, but has continued to do in the lives of people. Christ is still working today. John does not contain everything, but he contains enough. And he contains enough, almost like a highlight reel. But this highlight reel, it's more than enough to just see who wins the game but to see who fights on your behalf so that you can be part of the winning team. Number three, the takeaway, the moral of the story is that we must believe. We must believe. When we go back here to John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31, where Paul himself clearly states his God-given purpose, God-inspired purpose, saying, now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Everything that is written, everything that you've read, everything that you've studied, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Just a moment ago, I said that Paul did, John did not write everything. He couldn't. There's not enough space. There's not enough books. There's not enough time in the day. But one needs not know everything. One needs to know enough. Now, let me define that. Why does one only need to know enough? Because when we're talking about John's purpose here, which was not to write a total biography, but to write an evangelical work to bring people to the faith and to believe in Jesus as the one true son of God and the Messiah of all humanity. If you come to believe in Christ, you'll have all of eternity to hear the rest. God has providentially determined what is enough that one might believe. Knowing enough to believe and live is what matters most. Knowing that is enough because once you believe in Christ, you have eternity with him to hear the rest. What matters most is what we see in John's gospel work here. Not a biography, but that you recognize Christ is the divine son of God. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The resurrection and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. And he is the one whom belief in brings total forgiveness of sin and eternal life with God forever. Let's move forward with our final point. Point number four here. We must live. 
You see, there's many things that people believe in, but there's only one thing that you can truly believe in that brings life. Let me say this, because many of you might be feeling this today. Some of you know more than others. We can live for some things in this world which will perish, which will fall away. This life where at times, and, and especially at times when you know that your end may be coming, this life will seem like just a moment in time. But when we think about living with Christ, living with God, the life that he brings, living in that truth, that is true living, which will go beyond this moment and go forever. So as I say, number four, our takeaway, our moral of the story is to live. We live with eternity with God now and forever on your mind. Don't just live for today. Don't just live for this great hobby. Even if you're good at the ice fishing, we live for God, live for eternity in mind, knowing that there's so much more beyond the misery or beyond the temporary happiness things of today. (coughs) Jesus' victory over the grave provides for us a confidence for eternity. Let me say that again. Jesus' victory over the grave provides for us a confidence for eternity. How are we going to live for eternity? Well, here's my three takeaways. Number one, we live with a relationship with Christ as Lord, your Lord. We talked a lot about following Jesus, but what does it mean to live in a relationship with him? Well, number one, we intimately invite him into every part of our life. (coughs) Excuse me. He is omniscient. He knows all things anyways. He sees all things. He's omnipresent. He is in everything. Why would we try to hide something from him? Invite him in. But as we invite him in, allow him to be part of every part of your life. All the laughs, all the crying, all the service, everything to his glory, to his will. And that's the second way we live in relationship with Christ is that every part of our living intimately with him is for his will and his purpose. We're saved by faith, but our works do still please him. And they also serve as an evidence of our faith to those around us. You know, it's so easy for people to take that that phrase, that idea one way or the other to the extreme and think, well, I'm saved by faith. My works don't matter. Or they think the other way and they wrongfully think that their works are what's saving them when really we can never do enough to earn our salvation to such a perfect God. But God sent Jesus for us yet while we are still sinners that we might live, that we might have forgiveness of sin and live with him forever. But you know what? Through faith, we have works. And through those works, We please God as we live according to his ways and not our own. And people also see a better way of life. They see love. They see hope. And they want it. Number two, how do we live with eternity in mind? We live on mission for Jesus. We said earlier to focus on number one first. Number one being Christ. Then number two, you. You're always following him, not the other way around. Don't get yourself in the position of where only God is to be. But at the same time, don't fail to recognize all those around you that need to also follow him. 
the new life Jesus gives starts with you, but then this love, his love, should grow out of you for others to see and want. Who needs Jesus? Everyone needs Jesus. Every culture, every person, every social class, both sexes, in all ages, everyone needs Jesus. Don't get so focused on number one or number two that you fail to see the others around you. Some of you know more than others, as I said earlier, that life is but a moment. But you have this moment. You have this moment. God has given you this moment in a peace and grace and merciful state to share the love of Christ. Will you take it seriously? There's no greater love than serving the Lord. Remember as you serve, though, that you're not alone. And as you serve, I also encourage you to look at how Jesus was called by the Father because Jesus calls us to serve in the same way. What does this mean? Don't forget that Jesus came to us. Don't forget that he didn't wait for us to come to him. Don't forget that he descended from heaven from his throne. He took on the form of man. He ministered to his people. He sacrificed his own comforts. He sacrificed his life for us. Go to the people. Live on mission for Jesus. Go to the people and live not just for number one, number two, but for three, four, and everyone else around the world too. And finally, number three, live in the blessings of Christ. Live in the blessings of Christ's presence within your life. For this example, I give you the example of the disciples in the upper room waiting for Christ. We were there just a few weeks ago. And if you remember, they had the doors locked they were trembling in fear, wondering what was going to happen to them. But the moment Christ appeared in their life, the fear left and they rejoiced. They rejoiced. Live in the blessings of Jesus. Not with fear, not with sorrow, not with sadness, which is all consuming. But rejoice in the hope that we have. Believe and live if you're a Christian, do not let the things of this world pull you down or lead you astray. Live in the daily reality that Jesus is alive and with you. You can trust his promises because you can trust him. You know, I'm going to say this, and I, I hate saying these statements like this because I think that the last 2,000 years or really ever since the beginning of creation, the world has been full of sin, so I hate saying we live in the worst of times because there's been worse times. There's been harsh and terrible times where millions were being killed over in Germany, Nazi Germany. There's been horrible times where hundreds and thousands, millions were killed in the Civil War and other times. But I will still say we live in terrible times. But in this terrible time, we as Christians have the unique opportunity to declare with one loud voice that Jesus is alive and he's with me and he can be with you. I joke with people all the time, I have a relationship with Christ and you can too. Lee McMiniman, no, Tim Jacobson was just talking about seeing the Sights and Sounds Theater over in Branson, Missouri. And, and Lee was joking too, we're talking about how he got to see Jesus there. We can see Jesus every day in our lives. We see him working within us. We see him interceding for us on our behalf. We see the effects of a new life. 
And the new life is not living in fear. It's rejoicing in the hope that we have and others need to hear. So as I close this book of John, four minutes too late, I say this. Remember the greatness of Jesus. That we can believe and live forever when we live in Christ and follow him. Remember Ephesians 1.7, which says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches, riches of God's grace. And finally, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Live in this, people. Live in this, friends. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. You're anew in Christ. Live in the newness. Rejoice in him. Live in a relationship with Christ. Live on mission for Jesus and live in those blessings of him being in your life. Let's close in prayer and we'll have one final song. Lord, we thank you for the book of John. We thank you for all your word and how it's divinely inspired to help illuminate the truths of your word, to help us understand your deity, your greatness, your characteristics, Lord. And we just pray now as we think and reflect upon John. May we most importantly see this moral of the story, see these takeaways that it's not about me, it's about you. It's about your great love for us and that we can believe and live forever having redemption from sin, redemption from the old way of living and the newness of life in Christ. May we live for him, follow him all of our days, worrying first about number one, Jesus. Number two, us following the number one. And then, and only then, after then, looking to the others to declare Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. It's in your holy and powerful name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Please stand and close in song with us. Oh, wait of all our sin.
in your life that maybe you can shed some light on their situation too. Leave with that truth. Believe and live and share that truth with somebody. As you leave, I remind you, Steve Dutton, missionary, is here with his daughter Hannah. They'll be at a table in the fireside room at least for a few minutes before they depart back to Chicago area, so keep them in prayer. If you have questions, seek him out. And if you'd like to talk to him after, even after he's home, let us know. We can get you the contact info. He's brought a few Bibles, uh, not Bibles, a few books out there that you're welcome to take if you need something to read, and some pamphlets about the ministry they do also. Thanks for joining us. I encourage you to stick around for Sunday school. God bless you. Mm-hmm.